Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and cousin Jeff. Punish. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our handles Critics Pod. Listen to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star review. If you will, we'll read it on the air, and Sean has some movies for you uh still any specific ones you mentioned one last week what was that sorry you cut out for a second yeah sorry alienoid is the movie we're giving away alienoid uh, patreon.com slash critics pod is the best way to support the podcast and then check out our t public link over at ihatecritics.net up in the right hand corner or search critics pod at t public uh jeff tell everybody where they can find your art uh, all my links are at jefflasseter.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Jeff Lasseter Pop Cult, and I have all my links for merch and stuff there. I'll also post a uh, link tonight of the shirt that I'm wearing for, in honor of Silent Night, Deadly Night. And Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, you can uh, check it out at uh, uh, geeks.media, also at shotatthemovies.blogspot.com, uh, where the archive of the past uh, 20 plus years is located and all those links will be in our show notes all right let's get to the show we'll we'll just skip over the news that we just got before we started recording and <laughs> christy alley died uh <clears throat> and we're gonna start with this movie <laughs> and, and our first movie is darby and the dead <laughs> In fairness, I made this order before I found out she died. Yeah. Well done, though, nevertheless. <laughs> uh, Darby and the Dead uh, stars uh, Riley Downs as Darby. Uh, she is a young girl who had an accident as a child, nearly died, and developed the ability to speak to the dead. Uh, and she uses this then to uh, sort of as an idea for a business where she starts helping dead people uh, go on to the afterlife by solving whatever it was that they were doing while they were alive and didn't get to do because they died. Uh, and she doesn't make any money doing this, but she calls it a business nevertheless. Uh, when uh, things change, when a character played by Ali Cravalho, um, uh, who is this mean girl at school, dies while she's bullying Darby, and then she comes back and is a dead person trying to who's trying to. Darby's trying to help her get to the afterlife or forcing Darby to help her to get to the afterlife by throwing a massive party or she thinks that that will uh, a massive sweet 16 party will be her perfect send off to get her to heaven but I mean obviously that's not it and obviously this is a story about Darby going from a nerdy kid to being a more open kid who's also getting over the death of her mother so really really there's not a lot here <laughs> there's a lot of very basic materials in place and what a movie like this does, of course, you know where this is going. Of course, you know what the arcs are going to be. Uh, you know the party is not the point. You know that that uh, the romance stuff, the teen romance stuff, is not the point. You need bigger jokes. You need bigger ideas to go with that because you're gonna because these types of formula films are fine. You can do a formula movie like this and make it work. I can see a version of Darby and the Dead that works, but this one doesn't have any ideas to go with that. It just has the very basic presentation. Uh, of the ideas of, you know, nerdy girl becomes popular, learns valuable lesson, and dead girl, you know, goes on to heaven after realizing her true purpose and whatnot. 
they don't add anything to that. The movie isn't funny enough. The movie isn't dramatic enough. It's just not, it doesn't have anything else going for it beyond the concept of teenager talks to the dead and helps them go on to the afterlife. Uh, there's only one good thing about this movie, and it's Tony Danza. So what does that tell you? <laughs> tells Tony me he's Danza. back. <laughs> he delivers the only good performance in the movie, or at least the only memorable one, is a guy who he's passed on, and he's decided to stay, stay around until his wife dies, and then they can go into the afterlife together. And that's kind of a charming idea, and he's very sage and helpful, and uh, he seems kind of invested in this more than anybody else does and um i wanted more of of his interaction with darby that was kind of the best thing about the movie but he kind of gets shuffled off in the second half and uh doesn't come back until the third act and they don't really give him a good send-off aside from him getting the best joke in the movie which is the only time i laughed is him getting very excited about his wife entering hospice (laughs) so wrong it's the one good joke in the movie, though. It's funny. His it's enthusiasm for that is funny. Um, that's it, though. That's all that there is to sell this movie. Did you watch it, Jeff? Uh, I wouldn't say I watched it, but I had it on. Uh, it happened I, in a room adjacent it, to you. Yes, I was in a room with this movie. Um, I start, It started off as like, okay, you know, I, a teen comedy kind of okay, this is fun. Oh, it's kind of she's all that. It's kind of, you know, all these Pygmalion stories and but with dead people. Yeah. And I I gotta be honest, I, I lost I lost interest about halfway through because I knew exactly what was going to happen. There's uh, They telegraph everything at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted to like this movie because I, I liked the actors in it. I thought they were, you know, they're all winning and, but it was just kind of like wrote by the numbers. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't love it. And this is kind of up my alley. Cause I like all those nineties teen comedies and I like dead people and horror stuff. But this, it was fine. This is what you watch at a sleepover when you're 13. And you're like, oh, that's so funny. Oh my god, I want to be popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's. Did you watch it, Bob? Uh, I watched the trailer, and then I was like, <laughs> I was like, I- I'm not a film critic. I don't have to watch this. <laughs> it's probably best for the podcast if I do, I guess. But what am I going to give you? 30 seconds worth of. <laughs> my opinion and then we move on uh i'm too old for this and i just don't care uh, well observed <laughs> so i apologize but i did watch the trailer if that means anything well you probably <clears throat> saw the movie the that's pretty much are- yeah. kind of what i figured and if i was home i worked the entire weekend so i'd never had a chance if, like if my daughter was around to watch it with me it would have been one thing but I'm several decades. How do you think it ends, Bob? How do you think it ends? Uh, she gets out of her shell and uh, is happy. <laughs> the ghost goes <laughs> to heaven. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, Everything's tied up in a perfect little bow. Yes, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> oh, and she t- and she she sees her dead mom, who she thinks is she thinks went to heaven, but she's been hanging around to watch her until she was ready. Does hell exist That's, in this movie at all? 
Uh, on screen. (laughs) I mean, unintentionally. We're all in hell. (laughs) Yeah, unintentionally. This is the kind of movie that unironically has a uh, makeover sequence. So that tells you a lot, too. (laughs) Nice. All right. Uh, After Yang. I did watch this one. Oh, nice. After Yang is the latest movie from Koganada, uh, director of uh, Columbus with John Cho, which is one of my favorite films of the last few years. Uh, And this one's about a a science fiction film set in the very far future about a family that uh, uh, has adopted a young daughter. And with that, they adopted a robot son to be her older brother and kind of caretaker and also kind of keep her in touch with her with her roots. and then one day he just stops working. The, the robot brother, he just stops working, Yang. And they have to figure out whether or not uh, they can save him, bring him back to life, um, have him, you know, bring, back, bring him back as he, who he was, or whether or not he's just you know, going to be recycled or thrown away or whatever. And along the way, the, they managed to obtain his memories. And... Colin Farrell spends much of the movie kind of going through those memories. And the movie becomes this uh, really wonderful, beautiful meditation on the idea of what makes a person a person. You know, your, what do your memories add up to? What does it tell you? What does someone's memory of you uh, tell you about yourself? Uh, and that is just extraordinarily well accomplished. I don't think this movie is as good as Columbus. I still think Columbus is a far better film, but I think the ideas here that Coconut is working with are still just utterly brilliant. The visuals are gorgeous. His sci-fi is the way he uses science fiction is so much better than most people use science fiction. He's, he's using it to reveal people. He's using it to reveal the audience and reveal these characters. And like I said, the, the scenes where he's just looking through Yang's memories and, and kind of looking at himself through, uh, this young robot's eyes is beautiful, but then there's also this this life that this you know, young robot man had outside of the family that nobody knew about. Uh, that uh, is is quite beautiful as well. I, I I loved this movie a lot. This young robot man. <laughs> I don't know what I, don't I know, know what but I like the way you word it. <laughs> I watched it a uh, very literal, just uh, you know, almost as if. You know, he's a pet, almost like it was Marley and me, in a way. Uh, all the, <laughs> all the, things, you're a hundred percent right. But uh, on a literal level, it's a fucked up movie. Because I mean, imagine if we get, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Imagine if we get to this point, and you know, it, it's, it's not a pet, but it's not even as a lie. I don't know. It, it's just very. Uh, watching them go through that and you know dealing with him as a product but then he's still part of the family and all, everything he has to go through uh is very interesting and uh just weird to watch and uh i don't know it's i don't think it's for everybody uh i don't think a lot of people would appreciate this movie but i do think it's definitely for the a24 fan yeah, and this is an A24 movie, and you know, Koganata is kind of the perfect director for them. He's just he's working on a different level when it comes to ideas, and uh, it, nothing there's nothing typical about what he does. You know, much of Columbus is centered on architecture and the way that architecture reveals the relationship between a father and a son. Like he thinks of things very differently than 
so many other directors, and that's why I, I just love his work so much, and I love this work. Uh, the little girl in this movie is so wonderful. She's just such a great actress. She's so true. There's never a false moment with her. Uh, and, and her feelings towards Yang are so powerful. Like, that's her brother. It's not a robot. That's her brother. And he, his existence as a robot may be, a, may be real to her, but it's also the fact that this is her brother, and she loves him. And that is heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking... Uh, you know, for both the uh, you know, for for the other characters in the movie as well, and uh, then they reveal his backstory and they come up with this even deeper idea of of who he was, and it's just it's just lovely. Well, and you know, the facial expressions you see on this poster is largely the facial expressions they have throughout the movie, which uh, kind of makes for a neat picture. Like every like every frame is almost like it could be its own. I mean, literally, it is a picture. I get it. But it's like a, a, a well-thought-out, like almost something you'd hang on your wall type picture. A composed painting, yes. That's that's another another aspect of what Koganada does is his is his cinematography, his his choices. Like shooting, he shoots through door frames a lot. He likes the idea of putting you either outside or inside and making it specific that you're outside or inside. Uh, and uh, that, that, that idea of drawing someone inside uh, bringing you in or or leaving you out are, are are all aspects of how he's manipulating the way you feel about every scene. Yeah, I mean, this is this kind of sci-fi like that's, I guess, for lack of a better word, boring. You know, there's no action or anything like that. It's no chasing. Just yeah. more straight ahead and uh, just makes you kind of deal with things when you're watching it. I, I thought I thought it was neat, really cool to see. Did you get a chance to see it, Jeff? I did not. Does this sound like uh, something up your alley or something you'd like or not? Really? Yeah, I, I, it was one of those ones where I I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. And then I noticed that the uh, that resurrection popped up on my feed. And I was like, oh, I wanted to see this after our talk last week. So I watched that over a couple nights. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that if you try to put it on in the background, you're going to kind of keep your attention is going to keep getting pulled to it. It's that kind of it's that good. It draws yeah. I'll talk about it next week. I'll just do. Yeah, I'll do that every week now. <laughs> Jeff will just be a week behind us. <laughs> uh, the Harbinger. The Harbinger. That's the wrong. I was going to say. I think I actually rented this one. I was like, this cannot be what Sean was talking about. <laughs> I actually had to turn it off because I'm like, really? Yeah, definitely not the same movie. <laughs> it came out in 2022, uh, okay. though. <laughs> wow, they had, so there are two movies called The Harbinger in 2022. Uh, the one I saw was uh, just uh, set during the pandemic. A woman gets a call from a friend from college to uh, come and see her because she's having these just uh, having the worst possible time, just not having any human interaction and just kind of so- slowly losing herself to the point where her friend is very concerned uh, that she might not continue to live. Uh, so she risks going out in the pandemic and uh, goes to her friend's apartment and she knows she's going to be there for a little while. And while she's there, she begins to experience the same kinds of horrific nightmares that are afflicting her friend. Uh, There is this, there's this entity that's walking around in a plague doctor's mask. And it uh, is causing these dreams to become unending to the point where the, the friend, the the woman who actually lives in the apartment, she's uh, Mavis. She's talking about how she, she 
had the dream about falling, which many people have had a dream about falling, but she had the dream and she actually hit the ground and it just, and just laid there in pain. Like she was, you know, and, and just couldn't still couldn't wake up. Um, and so the, the story progresses that this may or may not be a thing where some, where people have just been disappeared by this being called the harbinger and, uh, where it goes from there, it's basically kind of a, just a meditation on on pandemic time and the loneliness and the despair and the losing of people. And uh, it's an interesting idea. I don't know if it's fully accomplished. Yeah, I didn't watch that when I watched this one, and I actually turned it off because it was so bad. Uh, <laughs> but I did pay for it. <laughs> so what's it about? Uh, honestly, I got five minutes, and I'm like, seriously, Sean wants us to watch this. <laughs> This does not sound like him at all. <laughs> wow. It's about the Harbinger. <laughs> Wait, do you watch this one too? No, I I no, I did not watch it. Okay. I was like There we go. There there's three different Harbingers out there that I was like, "Wait a minute. Can I just watch the episode of Buffy where they talk about the Harbingers?" <laughs> Your sounds way more interesting, although I do love upside down crosses, but they're kind of getting cliche. Yeah. Uh, all right. Gene Dealman. Gene Dealman, yes. This is a movie from 1975, written and directed by Chantal Ackerman, and it was recently named the number one movie uh, of all time by the uh, critics and academics behind uh, Sight and Sound. Uh, the story is, uh, as such, uh, a character play, a character named Jean, who is uh, a mother, a housewife, and a sex worker. She has a very specific routine every day of uh, getting her son off to school, uh, ha- you know, prepare- cleaning the house, preparing for dinner, and in the afternoon she has a man over to have sex. She gets paid for that. He leaves all very rudimentary. We see a lot of this in very extended takes where it's just her making dinner. uh, It's her making coffee. It's her cleaning the house. It's her taking a bath after, after having had sex with her client. It's her having a very, very difficult and kind of, uh, I don't know, just uneventful conversation with her son and the end of a day and the start of the next one. The movie is three hours and 17 minutes overall of kind of presenting her uh, very mundane routine in a very extended uh, form. And while that can sound like this is going to be boring, the reality of it is, is that what Chantal Ackerman is actually after here, at least in my reading of it, is that this is what life would be like under an extreme patriarchy where a woman just lives to serve men. Her entire existence is about serving the needs of men, whether it's uh, a husband or a, a sex worker client or if it's her son or even if it's just watching a, a neighbor's baby for an hour, her life is in service to them at all times. And how soul-crushingly boring it would be to not have any type of life of your own, to have your life defined by what you are to men uh, in this society. And that's really what Ackerman is going for here throughout is – to say that if you if you for, were to force women into this extreme patriarchal life, you're condemning them to a life of unending boredom and pain and heartache. And why would you want that? Why would you want that for anyone? And that's my reading of it. You can have a different reading of it. That's fine. It, that's another great thing about what Ackerman does here is that 
she leaves the whole thing open to how you want it. So there's these extended scenes where Jane Gilman is you know, just making dinner. She's just you know preparing uh, a meatloaf, and you've get your mind is just there to wander around the scene and figure out what's interesting to you and and kind of think about what you've seen before and ponder what could come next or you know it's just again you're just there to witness this routine until we get to the final day when something finally does happen in a very significant way and that too is yet another revealing moment of what it would be like to live under this extreme and the extreme reaction to that extreme and in that way i found this movie rich and exciting and unique uh, unendingly fascinating i think uh, delphine serig Uh, delivers an amazing performance she's so compelling even as she's just you know going through her shower routine like it's just so simple but then you've got ackerman the director she's so good so like a lot of people would have to have reams of dialogue to explain that she's not just a housewife she's also a sex worker and you'd have to go through and you'd see them making arrangements for the sex act and then the sex act itself and all that stuff she tells you immediately that jane dealman is a sex worker simply by having a man leaving her house. They have pleasantries. He hands her a few bucks and he leaves. The whole thing is just well explained just that way. The second client, we see him arrive. They walk down a hallway. They go into her bedroom. Then slowly the lighting changes in the hallway from daylight to nighttime. He comes out fully dressed. He leaves. Again, it tells you everything you need to know about this encounter without having to tell you anything with dialogue. That's just incredibly good direction. Uh, I love this movie. Jeff? No, I'm, I'm, I'm reducing it. <laughs> all the things that Sean said are true. Especially the part about it being three hours and 17 minutes long. Um, I used to be the person who was like, oh my God, you know, I, like, I would talk about movies like this that, and try to get everybody to watch them. I don't have the attention span anymore. Um, I get what they were going for. Uh, you know, she was definitely had her, uh, I'm going to make, I'm going to do this in real time. So you see the crushing mundanity of this woman's life. However, I, ha- <laughs> my life is plenty crushing and mundane. And I just, I, I kept, I, I read the description that you know something changes her life and i thought that that would be towards the middle of the movie uh not gonna lie after about an hour of you know watching her take a bath in real time and i was like wait what's what what um everything was in real time and i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you i fast forwarded through much of it much of the the mundane things a because i want to watch i wanted when i heard something was going to happen i didn't expect it to be in the last seven minutes of the movie honestly um the scenes where she was you know she she went out into the world and things were off i feel like that could have all been expressed you know she does her routine it could have been and I read an, I read something where um, Chantal Ackerman said that she she wanted to make a movie where you saw how re- regimented this woman's life was, and then so that you can see how it, when it goes off the rails, how it goes off the rails. 
but she also wanted to make it so that there weren't a lot of cuts because then you have to just be cutting the movie and you're just cutting it for cutting sake. And I was like, no, you're cutting for the sake of the viewer who can understand because like Sean said that you understand that she's doing sex work at the beginning of the movie with just a few, you know, like cuts, a few motions of the man coming in and the man leaving. You understand all that. You get it. Um, that could have been done with a little more fleet in my opinion. Um, the only, the only reason to make this movie three hours and 17 minutes long is to, to prove a point that, you know, you're going to make somebody sit through it. Um, I wanted to like it. This is one of those movies that's on the 1001 movies you must see before you die list. And it was, it's been on my list cause I hadn't seen it. And I just, I get what she was going for. I appreciate that, but it was not for me. And the last, you know, the last seven minutes left me wanting more. <laughs> you know, I want to see what happens after this happens. I want to see what, you know, that's, that's the movie I wanted to see. And I know that that's, um, I guess me being basic, but I, I want to go and I want to watch a movie for escapism. And I wasn't escaping anything except this movie once every few minutes when I would fast forward to see if anything was going on. Um, I'm sorry. Should I apologize? That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> well, no, that's the, I mean, it's easy to sit here and just pretend you like it. <laughs> so uh, I think I like that you're being honest with it. I am somewhere in between. Uh, I, I think it's weird that this is number one. Uh, it's, I, but at the same time, I I think it should be on the list for sure. Uh, I like the fact that it's, you know, the, the movie Men that came out earlier this year, I, I liked it, but I just had a hard time with it because it was directed by a white man. When, you know, I would have almost rather seen that story from a woman's perspective versus his. And if this were directed by a man, I'd hate this movie. Uh, <laughs> but it, there also would have been a problem with it, too. There, it just would have been different. It wouldn't have been the same movie. And that's what I appreciate about what she was going for with it. Uh, I do think it's very good, but it's almost too gimmicky for me to call it the best movie of all time. I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I almost, you know, it's good that it's there because it made us watch it. But at the same time, I think it affects my opinion of it a little bit. If it was just on the list somewhere, I'd be like, okay, I get it. And I do get it, but you know, it's hard to put this above like vertigo and you know, some other movies that right. have been at the top of that list before. Uh, if we were going through the, you know, the, like the list of a thousand and one movies that you should watch and we were doing that every week and this came up, I would possibly appreciate it more. I just feel like I get what I get what she was going for. And I, I can appreciate what she was going for. I just was really, really bored with it. That said, had I had to write a review like Sean did, like if I wrote Sean's review, that would have been fun. Like talking about this movie the way Sean did is entertaining. I, if there was much of a, dis I mean, I agree with everything he said, so I don't know how much of a discussion we can actually have. <laughs> other than just like, I agree. Uh, yeah, three white guys are going to have a hard time having that conversation. And I felt I felt weird having that conversation in the review and talking about, 
you know that that from that perspective because I'm a guy and I don't know what it's like to to have you know and a friend of mine my my best friend literally said to me you you'll never understand this and I and like I I agree I won't completely I'll never I'll never completely understand that from the perspective of a, of a woman especially now considering the you know the abortion situation so I I still you know I, what though she's right but. This gives you an appreciation because I did appreciate. Right. I got the mundanity of her life and how, you know, she just saw no hope in her life. I got that and I appreciated that. I just feel like it could have been done in two hours instead of three hours and 14 minutes or something. I think the I think the length is intentional. I think it's a fully. Oh, I know. I think, it's a, I think it's a taunt and a challenge for right. you to, to people who would, who, you know, if you think you can endure what life would be like for a woman in this situation and oh i absolutely I, cannot I, I refer to it as extreme patriarchy because i i think first of all people are going to be stupid and just try and go well that's not the definition the direct definition of pain extreme is what i'm talking about yeah. i don't think this is necessarily a people call this movie a based uh, uh they call it realism and i don't i think this is much more outsized than that because i think in reality gene dealman would have a lot of different options that she could take on any given day but under an extreme oppressive patriarchy where where things have been decided for her, and I think there are aspects of that that Ackerman hints at but doesn't spell out, that she's been kind of pushed into this. And she's she was raised and indoctrinated into this situation where she's constantly serving the needs of men, or if she's not serving them, she needs to be in a place where she can be to serve them in case they need something. And, and I think that's what, that's, I'm reading that, but I think that's, I think that's there. I think, and I think the, that's the the reason why she's sitting there just trying to find a good cup of coffee is because it's in case some man might show up and need something of her because that's what she's been told to do her entire life, and the length and the and the you know the constant just the the spread, spreading out of her of her day and her routine uh, is very much to that point about how soul-crushingly, mind-numbingly dull that would be to, and painful, heartache, uh, genuine heartache that would result from having that forced on you as your life. And of course she's going to act out as she does at the end. Of course she will, especially with that fucking guy and that stupid, smug look on his face. And the idea that he did something in that moment. He didn't do shit in that moment, but he's acting like he did something. I wanted to, I wanted to stab the guy. Uh, it was truly pissed me Spoiler off. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like, okay, so she's apparently never had an orgasm. He gives her one. And I mean, I don't know how he wasn't moving. He was, I thought he was asleep on top of her. And then when she started to have one, I was like, oh, this is because I, I had read that, you know, she has an orgasm that changes her entire life. And I thought that was going to happen in the middle of the movie. And then, you know, like it would it would have been great to have, you know, half the time her crushing mundane life. She has an orgasm and then she sees all the possibilities Mm -hmm. instead of just stabbing the guy who gave her one. Because to me, that says that she has a choice and she has agency over what she's doing and how she's living her life. Because if she if if stuff is different, she's going to have to do something different. And she, you know. Now she's like, no, I got to kill him because if he sees that I had fun, he'll want to do it again. And now I, I think I, I read it. I read it more as as uh, this was 
like her whole thing about it, her routine and this and the sex work is her job. I think the whole point of showing her her bathing routine even is just to show that this is not erotic. This is not sexy. This is not fun. Uh, that's why we don't see hardly any nudity in that scene. She's seated in the bathtub. She's covered up uh, very specifically. There's a jump cut from her in the bathtub to being nearly fully dressed because, again, Ankerman doesn't want you to linger on her uh, you know, in the typical straight male gaze, he she wants you not not she wants you to see this as this is part of her routine to to the point where she boils potatoes while doing this, and the time it takes usually for her to finish with a client is the time it takes for her to boil potatoes. This guy has forced this upon her, this orgasm, this unwanted uh, thing. It's just a physical act. It's an it's not an accomplishment. He, he didn't give her a gift. She didn't ask for this orgasm. This is her job. And he is now sitting there acting as if he did something, acting as if he's accomplished something by giving her an orgasm. And I think that's where, she, that, that's where the disconnect is. Plus, he's laying there not getting dressed. He's breaking up her routine. He's kind of just sitting there with that stupid look on his face. I read that as her, this is her anger. And finally, you know, I'm done I'm just done with men and this attitude of, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm accomplished. I do things. I'm a man. I think that's what that was for me. That's my reading. But any reading is, is not wrong on this one. Because, again, Ackerman invites you to read this how you want. I, I don't really have anything to add other than I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, that's the thing is it's... I don't even know what my take is on that. Uh, I, I think I tend to agree with Sean a little more on that, but uh, I don't know. I suck at talking. <laughs> uh, anything else on Gene Dillman before we move on? Uh, no. I, I agree with it being on the list. I don't know. Number one, I mean, it's not a movie. I'm never going to watch it again, but I, I'm happy I did. And I, I do a, I, as a work of cinema and as a work of, as like a taunt or a challenge right. to, to, to people who go to, who just try to passively watch movies. I think this movie is, is kind of a kind of wonderful in that way. And I do, I, I, I kind of love it even more as that, as that uh, uh, challenge or a taunt. Well, you'll never I forget do. it. You know, it'll yeah. be easy to talk about forever now. Except Have you guys seen me. the fake reaction video that they did where, uh, um, you know, that guy soups, Matt Ramos, he's a TikTok YouTube guy and he, do, he does reaction videos and whatever. And they always have, it has him and a friend or sometimes just him. And, and they've got the inset of what they're watching at the bottom. And then he's like, Oh my God. Ah, ah. And then like, so somebody edited in the inset of the, sight and sound top uh 100 movies or whatever and it like vertigo and he's like whoa and then this comes up and he's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so of course i had to make one with the inset photo was sallow (laughs) we do love sallow on this show (laughs) big fan especially when zach watched it <laughs> oh Lord! All right, it is on. We watch HBO Max. Is that where we saw it? Yeah. 
uh, if you want to be taunted, it is there to watch. <laughs> a lot of the Criterion movies are on there, um, and stuff that you aren't necessarily going to be able to order right away on Blu-ray or DVD because they're, you know, they're not the most popular ones, so they don't, they're not. You can't just walk into Barnes and Noble on the half price sale and buy them. Yeah. Um, but like this, that's where I watch this. A lot of their stuff. If you go through the um, the list, the one thousand and one movies, a lot of those movies are on there. That's how I'm going through it. Is watching HBO Max. Unless we make them classics, so this this podcast will make it hard for you to get there. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, up next, <laughs> we go from a classic to Violent Night. Violent Night stars uh, David Harbour as Santa Claus. Uh, this version of Santa Claus is uh, sad. He's drunk. He's uh, thinking that nobody cares about Santa anymore. Meanwhile, happening in the uh, in the the story is kicking in with a, a very rich family, the Lightstone family, gathering for their Christmas. The uh, there's a father, a mother, a little girl. Uh, there's a uh, his sister and her movie star boyfriend. Uh, there and her son, and then there's the mother played by Beverly D'Angelo. The guy we're following, Alex Hassel, I think his name is, who he's uh, trying to leave his family business to try and repair his uh relationship with his wife and daughter. And all of that is interrupted because mom has 300 million dollars in cash in the basement, and uh, terrorists are showing up to uh steal it. Terrorists led by uh John Leguizamo, who uh, has code names for all of his all of his uh minions and his code name is Ebenezer Scrooge. Ha ha ha. It's <laughs> I don't hate this movie. I, I didn't I went into it with an attitude. I thought I was gonna hate it because I don't like movies that make Santa Claus the bad guy. That really is is something that really kind of puts me in a wrong position. Uh, and I become like one of those pearl clutching media watchdogs like leave Santa alone. Uh, but <laughs> thankfully here at the very least, they do put Santa in a very violent context where there's a lot of dead people and a lot of blood and a lot of guts. But at the very least, Santa's the good guy. He starts working with the little girl who gets him on, who just happens to catch him uh, and uh, talk to him over a, uh, a two-way radio. And uh, she asks Santa for his help, and he decides to try and help her. And through helping her, he rediscovers what it was like to be a warrior before he became Santa because he was like a, a Viking warrior before he became Santa Claus. Uh, I I had fun. This movie made me laugh, especially the third act made me laugh a lot and loud. The little girl uh, played by a young girl named Leah Bailey. It just has a one word line at the end of the movie where she refers to this particular weapon that Santa uses or had used to always when he was a Viking warrior and she just says it was she says the name of this thing with such glee and I can't remember the name of it now but Skull like, Crusher Smasher or something it was just Skull was, Crusher and she the way she said it is just so hilarious I laughed very very loudly yeah she's and, like Skull Crusher <laughs> just, she delivered the line beautifully but she was great throughout uh, she gets to do a whole Home Alone thing that is very funny taking Home Alone to its violent extremes uh, yeah, so I I did in the end. I liked this movie. I didn't expect to, but I liked it. Jeff. So here's my take on it. It was Bad Santa meets the movie that was that they were going to show on uh, in the movie Scrooge. Yeah. where Santa has to fight back. That's what I was like. Wait, they re- they made that movie from Scrooge. Um, <laughs> I love myself a good gory movie. Um, 
uh, the cast was perfect for what they were doing. The the husband that was the movie star, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, Jean Claude Jean Claude Van Dumbass is what Beverly D'Angelo referred to him as. Uh, he he's one of those guys who. If you ever look at IMDb the way I do, and you're looking at like an episode of Law and Order, SVU, in particular, and there's like one guy who you're like, oh, that guy's like, he's interesting, and then you look at his credits, and it's all pictures of him posing with the guys on set, like he was an extra on a Ray Liotta movie. So <laughs> there's him posing with Ray Liotta, and you know he like, it says extra uncredited next to his name, and. That kind of guy who's like, oh yeah, look at my IMDb page, dude. You, those are all just selfies that you took with stars on <laughs> uh, movies that you may have been at working craft services for. Yeah, that's I. I that was one of my favorite like kind of moments because he was like, yeah, I was in this movie and I played a lot of soldiers and I'm like, oh my god, all those guys play soldiers or mercenaries <laughs> or, you know, I guarantee you half the guys who played the mercenaries at the end have those kind of IMDb pages. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked yet. Mm. But it was just so it was like such a meta Hollywood joke for me that I I that I loved that part. Uh this was so much fun. Um Beverly D'Angelo, I thought that was kind of a that was good casting, getting somebody who's known for a Christmas classic into this. Mm -hmm. Uh my only issue, my only real issue with it was John Leguizamo. He just he's a he's a smart ass guy, but I don't ever he's never really the ringleader. Yeah, you know, it was like he was—he's not Hans Gruber, right? When we're talking, you know, talking about other Christmas movies, he's not Hans Gruber. He's like the smart-ass sidekick to Hans Gruber, so he really kind of took me out of it a couple times. But you know, I—I I feel like if they're going to give him, why do I hate Christmas? It needs to be a little better than, uh, you know, we always said shitty Christmases. Well, you know what? Everybody had a shitty Christmas. Yeah, and I also don't buy the the idea that he's going to go toe to toe with Harbor. I mean, Harbor is this big beefy dad bod guy who you you definitely buy as an ass kicker. And I, looking at him up against John Leguizamo, you just don't even even Harbor, you know, near death. Like I haven't had the shit kicked out of him. I still didn't buy the fact that John Leguizamo could could hang with him. And they really padded John Leguizamo's costume because mm. he's not that big. No. I didn't see it, but Sean, uh, Jeff said everything I was thinking. When I saw the trailer, I kept waiting for him to be like, Lee Majors. Uh, <laughs> oh, if he was still alive, he, they right. would have given him a, he would have been somebody in this Beverly D'Angelo's husband. <laughs> I kept waiting for it to be called The Night the Reindeer Died or whatever, but uh, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. It was fun. It was better than I thought it was going to be, and I think that's the main the main thing that stands out for me. Cause like I said, I went into it with a bad, bad attitude. Speaking of it going, will, go ahead. I said, it will be one of those movies that I watch. I don't know if I'll watch it every Christmas, but it'll be in my rotation of Christmas movies at pretty, probably every year. Uh, how was your attitude going into silent night? Deadly night, Sean, <laughs> our classic. Well, he's not really Santa, so it's not triggering me in that way. So I guess that's okay. Uh, silent night, deadly night, 1984, uh, directed by Charles E. Seller and starring Robert Brian Wilson as a young man who gets traumatized at a very young age by seeing Santa Claus murder his parents. Uh, he, 
grows up in an orphanage. He's repeatedly punished by the mother superior there and uh, that she does not really care about his particular past trauma. She continues to sort of inflict it upon him over and over again, it would seem. Uh, He grows up to become a big strapping teenager, takes a job at a toy store where he ends up having to be Santa for, for on Christmas. And that's a terrible idea. Wish somebody hadn't happened. Uh, He ends up going crazy and starts uh, killing people and not particularly interesting ways. Um, I, Oh, come on. I didn't find it particularly great. I didn't hate it. I just, I didn't, I couldn't get invested. I couldn't find the camp of it. Like the really good camp of it just wasn't there. The, 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 the repeated things of him saying like naughty or punish. Punish. It it didn't make me laugh. I, I didn't, I just didn't think that there was enough there. It just seems so thin. His, you know, the, the, the line between how he ended up where he ended up going, like the random babysitter that he ends up killing and her boyfriend, like it was just, it just sort of happened. And there wasn't any motivation to lead to that. And they just kind of come up with little set pieces to do that just didn't resonate with me i I liked the i liked the joke about repeatedly killing the wrong santa claus that was funny that that (laughs) has kind of had a potential there but that joke doesn't quite have enough energy to it just like the whole movie really just doesn't have quite enough of the camp energy that i think it intended but just doesn't have and it also just doesn't have without that it doesn't have the scare factor it's not a scary movie it's there's nothing uh, the kills aren't particularly gory or interesting to me See, I don't know that they were intending it to be funny. I, I found it like really dark but campy, so it which is what was intriguing to me, I guess. Part of me spent the whole time going, I wonder if Toby Hooper had made this movie, what it'd be like. Because I'm definitely <laughs> interested by the trauma of the kid. Uh, and I, I don't know, it, it was just, I don't know, I just found it more interesting and dark, and I liked the darkness more than the fun i don't need you know i've seen a million campy fun movies i didn't need fun i i liked i i think they were trying to go for halloween at christmas and they were not trying to make you know a funny obviously i don't think freddie was around yet but i don't think it was fully meant to be a comedy i think they were trying to be serious they just weren't that good at it I think the main character's performance then kind of defies that cause well it's 1984 you gotta keep that in funny. mind it's funny in all the wrong ways. He's, well, he's not a good actor, right? So if they weren't going with for last with him, then well, his not- previous credit was Santa Barbara, where he played a guy who got killed. Yeah, in the, like the first scene, the first day, the first episode, he was murdered. So I'm saying if they weren't intending for us to laugh at him, then then the movie is truly unsuccessful. Okay, well, you thought Gene was long. Here I go. Uh, <laughs> I fucking love this movie and i love it because i think it's campy and the reason i think it's campy is because it is played 100 percent straight right they give you beat by beat why he's going to do what he's going to do from witnessing his parents getting killed to mother superior torturing him for his entire childhood by the way lillian chauvin who is she was on friends she's known for a hundred different things she is serving camp in this movie. She is, she is, as the gays say, serving cunt in this movie. Are we going to get thrown off of iTunes for that? Sorry, you can believe me. Uh, 
They, uh, every single beat in this movie is, it's like, they want you to know that this kid is going to go bad and why he's going to go bad. And every shot is showing you why he's going to get, go bad from, you know, he's peeping on the two of the older kids, in the orphanage having sex and mother superior, you know, that what they were doing was very naughty and, you know, they must be punished. Punishment is absolute. And he just repeats this stuff. And it's, as a kind of a, if you look at it straight as a psychological movie, yes, you understand all his motivations. It makes perfect sense. And even um, Sister Margaret, who is so unintentionally funny, she's the one who gives him the job. And, um, you know, she, oh, you wouldn't want a kid. Let me just introduce you to Billy. And then Mr. Sims, the guy who owns the toy store, he looks him up and down with elevator eyes and they like kind of linger on his crotch. And you're like, okay, uh, yeah, oh, you can start Monday. <laughs> you know, it's so, so great. Um, <laughs> the fact that apparently this toy store never sells any toys because when he goes and he starts and they're doing the montage of, you know, all oh, the, you know, this is there. He's meeting everybody at work and he's such a helpful boy and blah, blah, blah. And there's the same job of the hut playset that I actually have right over here behind me. Um, <laughs> The same one is in the same place with the same figures next to it. And that never changes even on Christmas Eve. I'm like, I know it's 1984. And I know Star Wars is kind of winding down when it came to toys then. But you would have sold at least one to a clueless ant. <laughs> anyway, and they still have Easter bunnies and stuff up. It's hilarious. It's unintentionally hilarious. But Sister Margaret, she says, like, when they when they kill the, uh, the Santa outside the orphanage and it's like, uh, oh, no, it was a man in the 50s. Oh, no, that was Father Delaney or whatever his name was. Well, you know, he they told him to stop. Oh, well, of course he couldn't stop. Of course he's deaf. Who is a fucking deaf Santa? Come on. And they played that straight, not as camp. And that's what makes it campy. Right. Um, you know, Lillian Chauvin, just the, you know, he will like Santa. He will sit on Santa's Claus's lap and he will like it. And. You know, instead of having, I, I know that like historically nuns on film are portrayed as the worst people ever. Uh, my mom went to Catholic school. My aunts went to Catholic school. They all told me how bad they were. So I believe it. But the fact that she knows that this kid has a Santa Claus thing and she still makes him do this stuff. She's a sadist. And that's partially why he is the way he is. Um, and I can't believe you said they the kills aren't inventive. When he impales Linnea Quigley on the antlers, come on, Sean. You had to even appreciate that. Eh. Even you. <laughs> if I, Terrence Malick did it, you'd like I've, it. Oh, that's good. That's great. I love that. I've seen, I've seen far more creative, even in the movie Antlers. <laughs> oh, God. I, I guess... Uh, now that you've talked, just kind of here's my experience going through it early on. I'm like, part of me is wanting it to be a different movie, like having somebody who knows what they're doing to make the movie. As I get through it, I'm like, if if you did this realistically, he'd just be in a mental asylum the whole time, It'd be kind of boring. So then it works out that you have it has to be this bad movie. Uh, but because you're he's 100% right, because it's bad is what makes it watchable and then which is the weirdest you know it's kind of like a better version of the room they're they're being completely genuine with what they're doing uh 
which is a very dark idea, but they, I don't know. I just, I, I found it way more interesting and enjoyable and a movie probably never would have seen if it wasn't banned because of <laughs> the idea of what it is. Uh, so I, I guess the reputation though, there's kind of probably what hurt it for me is that I, it has that reputation of having been so uh, transgressive at the time. And it just feels very, it, it feels kind of mundane now compared to things I've seen since then. And it's certainly not something that should have been, should have ever been banned. It's well, not bullshit oh, at the time. Yeah. yeah it, that's just, that's when you get the mama bear blog people mm. who, you know, too much time on their hands, so they're not, yeah. not going to take the time to watch. They're just going to see a Santa Claus arm with an axe. <gasps> oh, my God, a killer Santa? We have to ban this movie. Well, just watch it. It's so dumb. Your kids are not going to be scared by this movie. When I watched it back in high school, and I, I didn't really remember it. The only thing I remember is while we were watching it, my friend had a crucifix on his wall, and Jesus literally fell off the cross. <laughs> <laughs> and got caught up in the the <laughs> rope that was for the cur- the curtains, <laughs> and so bungee Jesus. Yeah, uh, he almost like I've since changed the story around and said his neck got caught and was hanging, but he really just kind of got <laughs> caught up in the rope. Uh, but that was it made for a fun experience. But I couldn't remember the movie; I just remember that, and that's all I ever associated this movie with. I was I was twelve when this came out, and I remember you know I saw the commercial for it, and I you know I've loved horror movies since I was seven, and my parents took me to see the Amityville Horror because I'd already read the book at seven. Um, I loved horror movies. I I was like, oh, I want to see this movie so bad. That's great, and they pulled it, and they weren't going to show it, and I was really pissed until it came out on a video cassette, and the guy down the street let me rent it even though he didn't ask my parents first. Well, yeah, and I remember my video store, even in like the late 90s, had You Must Be 18 to Rent, uh, which was annoying. Uh, you know, again, it builds it up to be something that's not. Of course, when Jesus falls off the wall, that <laughs> adds something to it. Uh, Did you guys watch the unrated version or the regular version? I think I just watched the regular I version. I just, whatever Amazon had. Oh, Okay. The, the unrated version that Scream Factory uh, released a couple of years ago has, you know, you get a little more death scenes. They couldn't clean it up, so it still it kind of takes you out of it for a second. But other death, they like show from beginning to end. Um, the boyfriend of Linnea Quigley's character, when he gets thrown out the window, you see like a lot more of the glass sticking out of him. They, you know, you see the decapitation on the sled, which... Another campy moment is when they're like, oh, my God, this hill is virgin. And there's literally footprints and sled marks throughout this entire thing. I was like, uh, that's a virgin in the way like Courtney Love is a virgin. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, think, I think part of that one doesn't resonate with me either because I've seen it so many times and so many different uh, YouTube videos people using that as a punchline. So it kind of takes the impact away. I think if I, I think the first time. I saw that maybe it was interesting, but it, the fiftieth time that I see the guy get his head off, head cut off that way, I was like, yeah, whatever. I just don't think this movie for me. And again, I don't want to take anything away from your enjoyment of it. I just think for me, it just it it's not it's not quite bad enough, and it's certainly not good enough. It lingers in this sort of uncanny valley between the between there that's just not interesting enough for me. I, that's I, fair. I do enjoy 
watching movies like this, just kind of getting in the head of the director, like why in the hell, like the first, when he kills the mom and dad at the beginning, it's like, let's pull our boobs out before I kill her just for the, you know, you know, a killer's not going to do that unless he's going to do more than that. Uh, just so we can show boobs in this movie, <laughs> which I, I don't know. That's the one thing I could have probably done without. Uh, but it, it's still just fascinating that, like you were saying, why does he go to that the, that teenager's house where they just show him fucking on a pool table? There's no reason for him to be there, but because they get there, it makes it kind of funny because it's stupid. It makes no sense. But mm-hmm. then they know he's going to go back to the orphanage, even though there's no reason for <laughs> yeah, him to know that. Yeah, because they wanted the, the payoff of you know whether or not he's going to kill the child. And the, the payoff was kind of just okay. I mean, yeah, I, this is not high art. Oh, no. This is not gonna, no, there's no, like, I did like, you know, have you been naughty? No, I've been, you know, have you been, have you, you haven't been naughty at all? No, Santa Claus. So he gives her a fucking box cutter. <laughs> I mean, it's so stupid. And I, when I was listening to a podcast maybe a year ago about just these kind of horror movies and just someone who likes horror in general and they're, Basically, their take was lately there's been too many high art horror movies like the Ari Aster movies that they're ready for the camp to come back again. Uh, and I, I don't know. There's people that truly do appreciate how bad this is as a work of art, if that makes sense. I am one of those yeah. people. And yeah. I love this kind of movie. I, I absolutely see, I love see that appreciation. Of it. I can understand it. I don't feel it, but I can understand it. Well, you have I, to watch me, everything. Like, you have to watch Darby I, of the yeah. Dead. <laughs> And like I said, uh, yeah, I, I do. I love like camp horror movies. I like Orphan. To me, the the recent Orphan oh. sequel is a wonderfully camp horror. Yes. Movie. That movie is so completely bonkers, over the top, weird, crazy, stupid, poorly made. Uh, I love yeah. it. <laughs> and that might actually land that on my top ten list this Honestly, year. I and enjoyed I that movie. I it's it's seriously it's one of the some of the most fun I've had at the movies this year is that that silly stupid movie. But it's so it's silly and stupid in the most effective and wonderful kind of way. <laughs> so I'm the oldest person in this podcast right now, and I'm cool with that because I actually lived through the, the slasher boom of the '80s, the late '70s and '80s, and. You know, this like every holiday got its own slasher movie after Halloween. Well, okay, after Black Christmas, <laughs> after Halloween stole the yeah. We'll talk about that later this month. Um, but af- as each holiday got their you know their horror uh, equivalent, this one ha- I mean it was in- inevitable. There was uh, Christmas Evil. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, that that, that sounds was familiar. For this one, where Fiona Apple's dad plays the Santa, the guy who was obsessed with Christmas. So I, um, I, I recall it. I don't recall much yeah. of it. Yeah. The um, <laughs> we should make that our classic. That one is bonkers. <laughs> it's you think this is fucked up. Um, that that one is. It's it's. This is the one everybody remembers. But like real, like I don't want to say real horror fans, but real like deep cut horror fans who like like the cult stuff love Christmas Evil, and you know Christmas. There's Don't Open Till Xmas. There's Silent Night, Deadly Night, Christmas Evil. You know, all, Silent Night, Bloody Night. All these like Christmas horror movies that really were riding that wave of holiday horrors. 
mm-hmm. you know, Friday the 13th and graduation day and well, you know, all of that. Um, so I was, I was around to see that happen in real time. And I think that's possibly why I have such a soft spot for this movie, seeing mm-hmm. the controversy, not being able to go to showcase cinemas in Milan and see it and very disappointed about it. Uh, my dad was even going to take me. <laughs> that's how much, you know, I wanted to see this. But, uh, the, uh, I think that's why I, I have such a soft spot for this movie and that whole slasher genre. And I'm ho- I'm hoping while I love hereditary and Midsommar and all the witch and all these elevated a 24 horror movies, I will sit and well, I would watch this three times before I'd ever watch Gene again. <laughs> I know you're not really a metalhead, but have you ever heard of the band ice nine kills? Yes. Uh, do you like them at all? Have you ever, my I, son's obsessed I, with them and I've through him. I've kind of like, they're like show tunes and meet metal. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Neat. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'll, you'll have to, maybe we should do a bonus with one of the records, Sean. It's they basically take all the, the singer's favorite horror movies and he just makes songs about them. Usually the songs are better than the movies. Like his child <laughs> play songs way better than child's play. <laughs> But again, it's very screamy and, uh, but it, I don't know. It's just weird. I, I just wasn't curious if that was something you were into or not. I wish, <laughs> you know, I thinking about, I think they should actually remake Jean, whatever her last name is. Do you know who should star in it? Who? Lindsay Lohan. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just want I just want Sean to hit me. <laughs> you just got to get your compulsory mention of yes, Lindsay Lohan. I told you this was going to be a, a Lindsay Lohan bashing podcast from now on. I, I am fascinated by the like I I googled the you know Christmas horror movies and they there are just so many of them. I uh, and like the fact is next week we have two of them. One of them, another one that's actually being released theatrically. Like it was kind of uh, which just kind of shocked me. Uh, but then you looked at like I was looking at things that I've written about before, like a movie called Sleigh Bells, which is about uh, you know, Christmas and three girls showing their boobs and horror. Um, but the one that I hate, the one I truly hate, the one that 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 gets to me on that level of uh, don't make Santa the bad guy is the Bill Goldberg movie. <laughs> Santa uh, Sleigh. Santa Sleigh. <laughs> that movie is fucking garbage. Not just because Bill Goldberg can't act for shit. That is just a shitty, shitty movie from every possible aspect. You don't like a Jewish Santa? I don't like anything <laughs> about that fucking movie. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating that he has, there's like James Kahn's in that movie. <laughs> like and as much as I would enjoy Jewish, Chris Kattan the, have his head cut off, I mean. Well, the whole cast is Jewish. That's the joke. But it's yeah. not a good movie. Awful. But he met his wife on that movie, so. I, I'm down for doing a Christmas horror episode anytime because there are so many. Like, better watch out. Um, well, even like rare you know. exports, some of the newer. Yeah, ones. that's yeah. Uh, Krampus. Yeah. As we're recording it, it's Krampus knock. So you know we should. You know I watch I watch Krampus a couple days before Krampus knock, and every year, and I forget that it's Krampus. I should be watching it tonight. Not two nights ago, <laughs> but it was on my voodoo and I was like, oh, I watched this. So I didn't love that one either. 
<sighs> so are we doing Christmas Evil next week then instead of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2? Why not? Yeah. Because we already talked about Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. All we have to do next week is say Garbage Day. and <laughs> Because they use the entire... Realistically, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is just the first film with yeah. with Garbage Day attached. Yeah. It's all... Have you seen it, Bob? It, the entire thing is just a flashback to this movie told by his little brother in therapy, and then the little brother becomes Santa Claus and goes around shooting people. Is it better? <laughs> no. no. Oh, my God. Except for... I- I would say Garbage Day is better than anything in this movie. This movie. So, I mean, <laughs> in terms of the laugh line, that I it, it accomplished what yeah, I want. Usually, by the time you're doing the sequel, you're trying to be funny and goofy. Because now you just want to make well, money. Well, when you get to the third sequel, that's usually kind of where things like Freddy started to go off right. the rails a little bit. You know, I really, they wanted to make a, a good sequel to part two or for, for Silent Night, Deadly Night, but. They couldn't get the financing, and they thought, oh, you know, well, well, we can just have him talking in therapy, and he can be talking about the first movie. And and then they, it, it's, in a way, it's kind of like Rob Zombie's Halloween. You get the backstory, which is the first movie, and then they go on to the second part, which is like the remake part, and you're just like, oh, this is pretty terrible. Um, you know, it's, the best part about that movie is him shooting the guy who's taking his garbage out and going garbage day that is literally the only reason to watch that and you can watch that on youtube for for yeah. five seconds the, yeah, that, that guy at the very least the guy who plays the little brother in the second movie who becomes the killer is that guy at least gets the memo about being completely like bad like get, not, i don't think he's trying to be bad i think he's just bad but he's bad in a way that's very, very interesting. Far more interesting than the bad of this movie for me. For me. Well, no, I, I get you. I just found my... I guess I was more interested in... Kind of like when you watch The Room, what was he thinking when they did this? You know, it, that's yeah. where my interest kind of came into play. And then I just found myself, by the end of it, I'm like, I think I kind of like this. <laughs> that's where I ended up at it. Now, only you guys and anybody who happens to be watching on YouTube are going to like this, but we have Billy... And we have Ricky. Holy shit. They actually made action figures of these guys. And I own them. That's awesome. <laughs> is that a, that part of your Christmas display every year? Yes. As a, it's, it's, I put them out every Christmas. Uh, I really wish that Ricky had a little button on him that when you push it, he would say garbage day, but he does yeah. not. Scream sure. Factory and NECA really missed a, an opportunity yeah. there. Absolutely. So. All right, that is all of our movies this week. In 1992, what came out? Damage, The Distinguished Gentleman, and To Grandmother's House We Go. Uh, I always, is that another horror movie? <laughs> depends on your grandma. <laughs> uh, Distinguished Gentleman is the only one I remember. That's the one with uh, Eddie Murphy becoming a congressman, I think it is. Yeah, he just... Re- in and, uh, and it's actually not terrible it's like one of the last good eddie murphy movies like kind of good like <laughs> like it's not great it, it definitely fails on on most levels but but there are moments there of like he gets a ele- he gets himself elected essentially by by changing by using his middle name as his last name because it's the same name as the guy who was the congressman before him but he died 
<laughs> and so that's a pretty good bit because like that's what Ch- Chuck Grassley keeps getting elected on his name every year, year after year after year, regardless of himself. But that bit just built for the name they recognize. I mean, that bit makes the whole movie work because it's such a good idea and such a realistic idea, too. And then it then it does kind of become this the kind of a, a very bad version of Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Right. At that then it, yeah, just kind of a cheesy little comedy. Next week we've got Christmas, Bloody Christmas, Matilda, the mean one, hopefully the whale, and maybe a movie called Spoiler Alert. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely I think coming. That's a yeah. Whether Sean watches all of them or not, we'll see. But uh, I've been excited about Spoiler Alert. Uh, Michael Osiello is the uh, guy who wrote the book that it's based on, and. Uh, Jim Parsons is in it from Big Bang Theory and I happen to like Big Bang Theory I know that's not a popular opinion but I do like that show my mom loved that show she loved him I think it's uh, a so pretty I'm popular opinion <laughs> <laughs> no not really not in, not among the cool kids if you like Big Bang Theory that's well, a, you've got a taste problem well yeah I hate it but I'm not I feel <laughs> like I'm the minority no 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 you're, apparently now you're, you're the majority uh, it's the vocal majority maybe but <laughs> uh let's see here a classic is christmas evil and in 1992 a few good men forever young the muppet christmas carol and passion fish all come out really? i think it's pretty funny that our classic is christmas evil the week that the muppet christmas carol comes out <laughs> four christmas movies to talk about there's <laughs> a special christmas episode again next week all right, let's see here. Where is Flick Chart? You guys can just look at our Facebook page. There's the show notes. Come on. This moves, you stupid thing. There we go. All right. Hot Shots Part 2 or Role Models? Role Models. Role models. That mo- I don't like that kind of comedy, but that movie made me laugh so hard for so long. Yeah, I love that movie. And uh, even though it kind of ruins Zach and Mary... <laughs> And I wanted Kevin Smith to be successful. Uh, I still love it. Misery, What About Bob? Misery. Misery. Although I, I would argue that What About Bob is far more miserable than Misery. <laughs> misery is a Christmas movie. It's a movie that is not explicitly a Christmas movie, but I, it like seems like a Christmas movie. Yes. Well, Die Hard is explicitly a Christmas movie, if you ask John McTiernan. So is Die Hard too. Lethal Weapon takes place during Christmas, and no one ever brings that up. <laughs> it is a Christmas movie. I like it better than Die Hard. K-Pax or Red Planet? Red Planet. K-Pax yep. is fucking flaming garbage. Unless we can switch Cage. Cage. Jeff, get on it. Put Nicolas Cage into K-Pax. <laughs> oh, God. Now that I'm officially on the podcast full-time, <laughs> I have to do that kind of stuff, don't I? <laughs> can you go look Kevin Spacey's movies into Nicolas Cage movies? That's, that's what we want. Vegas Vacation, The Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors. I, I just, I'm just going to assume Vegas Vacation is awful. I don't remember it. I, yeah, I, yeah, The Great Outdoors. I just Chevy Chase. I don't. He's not particularly funny to me. He's like, he is what he is to comedies what Dustin Hoffman is to dramas. <laughs> just kind of. <gasps> the- oh, <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. But it's true. It's true. I used to love. Now Santa's going to punish you. 
Have you heard what Chevy's doing now? He's like opening. He's like appearing at the opening of Chicken Places in like Arlington yeah. Heights. Yeah. <laughs> he is to movies what Pete Rose is to baseball. <laughs> God, I love it. Except he's not barred from winning awards. <laughs> <laughs> he's not intentionally barred from winning awards. Yeah, well. But he's not winning okay. awards. <laughs> he's not barred. He's not going to win any, but he's not barred from it. Out of sight, artificial intelligence. This is tough. I like both of these movies a lot. I'm going to go with Out of Sight. I think Out of Sight is the more rewatchable version, so I'm going to go with that one. I I have not seen AI in 20-some years. I, I got the DVD for a dollar at a swap meet not too long ago, but... I'm going to say out of sight. I finally watched that a couple of years ago and I really, really, really liked it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm not a big AI fan. Captain Marvel, Diamonds Are Forever. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Sicko, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Sicko. Um, Men Who Stare at Goats is such a great idea and I, I baffled how they fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with Sicko too. I... I enjoy michael moore's movies if even if sometimes he's a little much to take yeah castaway ratatouille 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 agreed the abyss the amityville horror the amityville horror yeah the first horror movie i ever saw in the theater like i said earlier do you like it i i actually do i there I mean, first of all, you get James Brolin and his tidy whities um, <laughs> Second of all, there's just so many little parts of it that, you know, make it. I, 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 it's one of those ones I can watch over and over. I don't necessarily have to like sit and watch it every time, but you know, from the, from the dorky looking um, real estate agent and she senses something to Rod Steiger to. Uh, Aunt Liz, the uh, from another world, who played the nun who pukes, does the does the movie puke where it's just like whatever she can hold in her mouth. <laughs> I I have a I I, I admire uh, some aspects of it. I think the only thing that keeps me from liking the Amityville horror is uh, the whole thing that goes around where people are like, oh, that was a real thing. Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> Fuck off. It's not based on a fucking true story. You fucking morons. Well, Otherwise. Otherwise, it's a well-accomplished horror film. Uh, the the fucking those fucking conjuring people, whoever the fuck their name is, uh, those those Ed assholes. And Ed and Lorraine Warren continue to ruin uh, a Wait, lot of horror. Are you telling me that they're not real? <laughs> <laughs> See, I like the Conjuring better. I just I don't know. I as a kid reading the book, uh, checking out from the library from the nonfiction section and actually buying into all that bullshit was fun, and then. I, I thought I didn't think it was that accomplished. I thought it was kind of a mess, uh, but I haven't gone back and watched it in a long time. I it just I don't know that experience reading the book as a little kid, hiding it from my parents because I wasn't allowed to read it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you want to hear. Go ahead. Oh, you want to hear a funny story about me reading that book? Yes. So my parents got the book, and I was fascinated by the picture of the house on the cover, you know, with the flies on it. And so I read it. My mom was, what are you reading? And I said, you know, and I showed her, she's like, you should be reading that. I'm like, no, it's really good. I really like it. I was probably seven years old. 
seven or eight. I don't remember when it came here, but it came out in 79. So I was like seven or eight and I finished the book and I had, my parents went out and I had a babysitter and I was always that kid who did whatever the fuck they wanted, whenever they wanted. And I would like, you know, like trying to crawl up into the cupboard and get a tub of frosting to eat with a spoon. Um, And you know, that kind of stuff. That's why I have a weight problem. That's why I need to watch the whale. Anyway, my parents came home and I came out of my bedroom and my, my mom was like, what are you doing up? And, and I meant to call my babysitter a horror, like <laughs> the Amityville horror, but I was eight and it came out as she's a whore. <laughs> Everybody's face just like, what the fuck did you just say? And I was like, she's a whore. And they're like, what? And I like I had to go run and get the book out of my room and be like, hold it up. She's a horror. She's a horror. <laughs> so then everybody thought that laughed and thought it was funny and I didn't get in trouble for being up past my bedtime. So <laughs> uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas or the skeleton key. Fear and loathing. Skeleton key. That was fun. I agree, but I like fear and loathing a little bit more. Hoosiers top secret. Top secret. Top secret. Sure. I don't like feel good sports movies. <laughs> or feel bad sports movies. I like feel bad sports movies like Rocky. <laughs> like <laughs> Alive when they all get <laughs> <laughs> uh, going... I haven't seen either of these. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen Easter Parade, that's for sure. All right. Practical magic, men of honor. Now we know we know what to watch for Easter, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, practical magic, men of honor is just—it's a, a, a snooze. Yeah. <laughs> we used to go to the movies like at midnight on Friday nights, and we actually went to Men of Honor <laughs> the midnight show. It, it was awful. You, you slept right through that one. <laughs> I tried really hard because I wanted to. Like, if De Niro was in it, I wanted it to be good, and I. Pretended everything you did was good at the time. <laughs> as many people did at that time. Even though it was three in the morning and I'm just wrapping up the movie. Grumpier old men, first blood. <sighs> Gotta be honest, I I love grumpier old men. I'd probably I'm I'll watch that tomorrow. So I'm I, I'm not gonna watch first blood again unless I'm forced to. So yeah, it's grumpier old men for me. I would, I'll probably agree, but I think that First Blood was actually probably Stallone's one of his best performances. Yeah. Um, you know, before he just became this ultra Reaganite guy who, let's go kill all the people in Afghanistan and Russia. Yeah. And he became Rambo. Are we going to die playing? in First Blood? <laughs> <coughs> I'll go first blood, but we can let Grumpy Old Man have it. Uh, wow, this is fun. <laughs> Passion of the Christ. The nice guys. The nice guys. Absolutely the nice guys. Fuck Mel Gibson. Yeah, I hate torture porn. Secret Window, Tangled. Two, I think, very good movies, actually. But I, I happen to have a really strong admiration for Secret Window, so I'm going there. Yeah, same. Read 48 hours the parent trap 48 hours I guess well you know I'm going to pick Lindsay Lohan 
second best performance or third best performance. <laughs> Herbie uh, fully loaded and Mean Girls. <laughs> oh, you're forgetting Another World, where she played Allie Fowler for two years. I like Freaky Friday. Uh, that's yeah, that's the other one. I actually like that movie because I do. I as much as I th- I bag on her for that stupid fucking Christmas movie, Lindsay Lohan could act. And I love Jamie Lee Curtis, so the two of them together, I would I will watch the fuck out of that movie. The one Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Yeah, I haven't seen the one, but I. The one is such a Dunst. great idea, and they again, it's another one that has this really great idea of Jet Li fighting Jet Li, multiple Jet Lees fighting each other. Great idea. Uh, like it's it's like Highlander, but with just Jet Li. Uh, like that's a great idea, and they fuck it up. It's like the Hong Kong version of Multiplicity. <laughs> <laughs> Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, The Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story. If you had said Nightmare on Elm Street one, I would have picked that, but the Philadelphia Story because Freddy's Dead is almost unwatchable. Friday, The Adventures of Robin Hood, 1938. Friday. Friday. Fuck Errol Flynn. <laughs> Moonlight, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Sean, have fun with this one. That's tough. That is this so one is hard. hard. Man, because I love hard. The Talented Mr. Ripley and I love Moonlight. I love both these movies. And, man. Um, damn, I don't know where to. I'm going to go with Ripley because I think I might watch that one first. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go Ripley. I'm gonna go Moonlight because the performances of every single actor in that movie are absolutely phenomenal. Ripley is gorgeous. I mean, so is Moonlight. But when they announced, <laughs> when they announced for real that Moonlight won the Academy Award for Best Picture, I about lost my shit because that movie. I watched that movie three times in the theater. Mm. And I don't do that unless it's a Star Wars movie or a Friday the 13th movie. I'm picking Ripley because uh, I, ha- I think a lot of that has to do with the experience of seeing it for the first time. And it definitely was for me a transformative experience seeing that movie the way because it changed kind of the way that I looked at movies for the first time. 99 was like the, the year that made me as, a, as a, somebody watching movies. And uh, that movie in particular, the way I watched it is kind of making me pick that over Moonlight. I think Moonlight is just as well, if not better, or even better accomplished. But I've got this, I've got a history with Ripley. Great. We should really do a Patricia Highsmith uh, adaptation show sometime because she's got... There's some really good movies out there. Strangers on a Train, one of my favorites. Hmm. I'll go to the talented Miss Ripley. Why are you so homophobic, Bob? Aren't they? Aren't both movies? <laughs> I thought I was more racist than I am. <laughs> okay, why are you a racist, homophobic bigot? Um, I quit. <laughs> Boogie Nights, Star Trek, two thousand nine. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Artie Lang's Beer League, Saving Mr. Banks. I've never seen Beer League, and I wouldn't see Beer League if you paid me. Oh, it's fantastic. 
uh, True Grit 2010, Saving Mr. Banks. True Grit. True Grit. Creep Show Pocahontas. Creep Show. Yeah. That movie is. Creep, creep Show is slightly less of a hate crime. <laughs> oh, God. The Major and the Minor, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Never seen The Major and the Minor. I love Buffy the TV show, but the movie is terrible. I'll pick Changing, changing lanes. lanes or Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, I Changing agree. Lanes. I hate Kirstie Swanson, too. <laughs> yeah. Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, Creed. Creed. Oh, we're going to have to watch Fern Gully in a couple weeks for uh, Avatar, right? Movie. <laughs> Only Fer- Fern Belly is a little less animated, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a Great. little less toying too. <laughs> Empire Records, Practical Magic. Empire Records. I have never seen Empire Records. It's my wife's favorite movie. I'll go with that as well. I love you, man. Platoon. I love you, man. Yeah, yeah. I love you, man. I'll go, go Platoon. I feel like I'm always defending that movie. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, room, Wet Hot American Summer. Room. Yes, but Wet Hot American Summer is just... It's, it, it's very it's fun. Hilarious. Yeah. Room is the better movie, though. <laughs> Bob, you, you, Jeff, you won't get this. You're not a wrestling fan, but uh, Bob, uh, the, there's a large, large contingent now that are comparing Paul Rudd's character in Wet Hot American Summer to Orange Cassidy in AEW, and it's just <laughs> kind of the perfect. It's so perfect. <laughs> uh, Bicycle Thieves, Benny and June. Bicycle Thieves. I've never seen I've it. I've never so, seen it either, but... so you win. Lolita Patton. Patton. Lolita is a blind spot. I've never actually seen it. Neither. Well, we gotta watch. Neither have we I. Use that one. So yeah, we'll save that one for a classic. Oblivion, the wedding planner. Oblivion. Good God. Have I seen Oblivion? I don't even Tom know Cruise. Oh no, I definitely have not seen it. I tend to boycott most of his movies. I'll take your word for it. Uh, okay, no. good. I don't want to say that out loud. All right, the happening, oh, the happening Terminator talk about Two a Judgment choice. Day. <laughs> Terminator Two Judgment Day. Yes, ma'am, 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 ma'am. Shaun of the Dead's uh, 1992's. Uh, I guess it didn't win the Best Picture. Ascent of, the, of a Woman. Pacino's only Oscar. I mean, I don't care about either. I'll Shaun of the Dead just because I think Son of a Woman is insufferable. I'm going to pick Shaun of the Dead because it was an original idea that I don't need to ever watch again. Yeah. Yeah, and Al Pacino has been Whoa, super annoying hoo-ah! ever since that movie. <laughs> He's just been doing that. Great doubt. The Natural 1408. That's hard because I just realized I just found out recently, Jeff, that I like fourteen oh eight. I went back and read my review of fourteen oh eight, and it turns out I really liked it. 
I like 1408. I, that's I my too. choice. Um, I hate the natural. I think it's a piece of shit. Yeah, I don't care <laughs> at guys, all about the you natural. You guys already picked 1408. So 1408's my bank pen code. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what Hot American Summer School of Rock? School of this rock. choice would give Amy an aneurysm. <laughs> I'm going to say School of Rock. Mary Poppins, The Big Sick. The Big Sick. I'm going to say Mary Poppins because this is the movie that made me really want to punch Zoe Kazan. Really? I I just... I. I just, she was, this was like her being Zoe Deschanel to me. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, like the characters was good, but she just, it was that, you know, that manic pixie dream girl thing that just drives me up the fucking wall. And that's the impression I got of her just for the first few minutes that it stuck. I, that's I, why I said when we watched, uh, she said, I was like, oh, I actually did not hate her. I think that was my favorite movie that year. <laughs> or, I do. Uh, which is why I'm glad you joined the podcast because Sean and I was starting to just morph into everything <laughs> Sean liked. <laughs> uh, Joe Bell, The Rock. The Rock. Joe Bell is terrible. It's a terrible film. It's just so saccharine and syrupy and <sighs> bullshit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jingle All the uh, Way, Logan's Run. Logan's run. Yeah, I recently finally watched Jingle All the Way. I got it for a dollar with the <laughs> I was unopened it. and it had the uh voodoo code inside of it. And I'm like, oh I'll just, you know. I sold it for five bucks on eBay and I kept the code and I was like, Oh, this is really horrible. <laughs> and Jake Lloyd was the best part of the movie. <laughs> that tells you anything. No, I like Jake Lloyd. He's he's yeah. Anyway. In, in and, and out, out or, or the, the town? town, the town. Yeah, in and out for being a movie about a gay guy was pretty. Or having gay teams is pretty homophobic <laughs> to me. <laughs> Doesn't age well. Yeah. No. The Black Cauldron accepted. Accepted. Yeah. Hard Candy, the Farm of Tomorrow. That's an animated short from the fifties. Hard Candy, Murder on the Orient Express. Hard Candy. candy. I hate Murder on the Orient Express, but Hard hard Candy's a better movie. True Grit, Exit Through the Gift Shop. That's tough. Exit Through the Gift Shop. That movie was... Mm -hmm. I've never seen it. As an artist, as somebody who does art and, you know, enjoys Banksy and saw the Mr. Brainwash show when I lived in New York, and it was, you know, it's like, oh, this guy is just He's well, obviously Banksy. For a documentary to have that kind of narrative thrust is so, I mean, it just, it, it, it almost plays like a mystery at times, which is kind of fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I'll go with that. I can go with that. I've never seen it. Uh, Wander Darkly, The Burbs. Wander Darkly. Never seen it. Have I seen it? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Sienna Miller, Diego Luna. It's a good movie. Oh, I maybe I I know we remember talking about it now. Toy Story, The Bank Job. Toy Story. Toy Story. 
See, all the funny <laughs> stuff happened at the beginning of this, and now I'm just trying to find a way out. <laughs> Die Hard, the crime of a century. Never seen the crime of the century, though I want to. Die Hard, Practical Magic popped up like four times now. Yeah, no. yeah, it's Die Hard, obviously, but... Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Rambo 3, last one. Rambo 3. Fishing with Gandhi. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I hate Transformers enough to vote for Rambo 3. That's what I hate both of them enough to vote for Silent Night, Deadly Night. (laughs) I would take Silent Night, Deadly Night over both of those movies. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We have finally converted Sean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> now we don't have to thousands play. of movies i would rank it ahead of rambo 3 and transformers <laughs> Dark of the Moon. so would we though we would do the same so we all agree <laughs> yes so i think you have to put silent night deadly night up against all these movies <laughs> i mean if you put it in there you could actually rank the movie specifically if we you used to, to. Yeah, i know we used to do we that do that and that's how i learned how to do that was listening to the show and then we just stopped <laughs> doing it because I I don't even remember how to do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's the show. See everybody later. Bye. Bye.